Now, please welcome our guest moderator, news editor of Empire Magazine, and part of the presenting team on BBC's film 2012, Chris Hewitt. Everyone, thanks for coming. Now, uh, Great Expectations is one of Charles Dickens' best and best-loved novels. There's been a few notable film, film adaptations across the uh, years. David Lean, of course, and Mike Newell, the director of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and Four Weddings and a Funeral, is just the latest to bring something fresh to this literary classic. Before we meet him and his two young stars, let's take a look at the trailer. Cut your throat. Tell us your name, quick. <laughs> Once more, give it mouth. Do you wish to see Miss Havisham? Let me look at you. Come closer. What do you think of her? I think she's very pretty. You can break his heart. It is the desire of the benefactor that he be brought up as a gentleman in London. Of course, the first is that the name of the benefactor remain a profound secret. The second thing that you always retain the name Pim. He has come into a handsome fortune and he has great expectations. You must know I have no heart. Oh, I don't believe it. I've been made that way. If she wounds your lover, if she favors your lover, but if she tears your heart to pieces, love her, love her, love her. You give your affections to that man. The looks and smiles you never give to me. You want me to deceive you. Not you deceive him. Yes. All men but you. You risked your life to come to me. If he's found your hand, I will sin for life. His death to come back. I have loved you since I first saw you in this house. But it touches nothing. Here. It's not natural. It is natural in me. It's still I love you. You believed what you chose to believe. Was that kind? Who am I to be kind? Stella, come with me now. Please welcome the director of Great Expectations, Mr. Mike Newell. And his Pip and Estella, Jeremy Irvine and Holiday Granger. So, Great Expectations. Mike, how long have you wanted to make this movie? How what? How long have you wanted to make this movie? Um, actually, a long, long, long time. Yeah. Um, since I was, I guess, 19 or 20. Because uh, I was a, f a Dickens freak when I was uh, young. And this was always my favorite because what it wants you to do is feel like him. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I did feel like him. Uh, and I've, I've, I've always wanted to make it and I've always wanted to, uh, I've always wanted to throw Magwitch in the water and I've wanted to do the <laughs> steamer and I've wanted to do how they fall in love and I've always wanted to do it. Okay, so why did it take so many years for you, for you to get around to it? Because it's, it's made so often. Yeah, and you have to find a, 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 you have to find just the right time, and so we found 
just the right time when 11 months before the BBC had just done it. <laughs> That's timing. <laughs> it's always good when that happens, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but uh, one of the things you've, you've done is, uh, and I was talking to Stephen Woolley, the producer, about this, was uh, remind people how young Pip and Estella are Yes, they always played too old. Always played too old. Always too old. And you have a, a young Estella, a young Pip here, yes. Holiday and Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about your characters for people who may not know the novel or who haven't seen any of the miniseries uh, have been around for a few years? Uh, oh, Holiday, who who's Estella? So Estella is um, an orphan who's been brought up by um, a mad old jaded woman who's been jilted at the altar, Miss Havisham, and she's been brought up initially out of love but has been taught that... Um, taught the dangers of heartbreak and so have been brought up to wreak revenge on the male sex and falls in love with with the uh, well kind of falls in love I think she falls in love with the um, with the young Pip and it's about their uh, her story is their kind of love story of um, of not being able to show her love and feeling too proud to be able and having too much self-restraint to be able to give herself over to actually admit her own emotions She's been taught by Miss Havisham that she must never be as vulnerable as Miss Havisham was. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's all about vulnerability, isn't it? And how she she must fight that off. And so, you know, and and, I mean, in a very similar way, you know, Pip is someone who's been so damaged through his upbringing. You know, he's been been horrifically, um, violently abused. He's been the victim of the most awful domestic violence. And, um, you know, this, this gives him this incredible sense of ambition you know he his way of getting out of this terrible life that he's grown up in is to become a gentleman so this isn't some sort of childish sort of whimsical idea you know this is this is a burning obsession that completely takes over him and st- starts to kind of eat him from the inside mm. um and one of the questions that mike kind of asked me when um when we first started talking about it was you know why is he why, why is he so awful to all the people that... There's only a couple of people that are nice to him in the, yeah. whole, in the whole story, and, he, and that's who he's worse to. And you kind of look at, well, why, why is he like that? Because he's morally, he's quite sound. But then you look at this, this obsession that, you know, it, it becomes so much a part of him that when Jaggers comes and says, you have great expectations, that's it. He's got tunnel vision. And if it means, you know, abusing the one person that's been nice to him, then fine, that's what it takes. And if it means not marrying the girl that he should marry, then fine. And, you know, and then you look at him, him it, he just kind of, he sacrifices all his morality for, for, for this ambition and, and ends up sacrificing himself in a way. Yeah. But here's a story. Yeah. When Dickens was a little boy, he was very sweet and bright and outgoing and he was really clever and he knew he was really clever. Um, and he went to school And then his father, who was a nice man but hopeless, uh, fell into debt and was taken into the debtor's prison, which is, uh, it's not there any longer, but it was around uh, Fleet Street. Um, And then you had to live in the prison with your family until you could discharge your debt. And the only person who was old enough to earn a living, because his father couldn't, was hopeless, his mother couldn't, equally hopeless, mm. was this 11, 12-year-old boy. And he went off and he worked in a blacking factory, boot blacking, on the Strand. But because he was so good at it, because he was so good at packing the jars, they put him in the front window. 
he became a kind of he became a sort of tourist attraction and people would go along and look at him and rap on the window and he absolutely hated it because he knew that the job proved that his family was no good that he was no good uh, he was horribly embarrassed and every night he had to go back and he had to go into the prison and live with the family which he, and he tried desperately to fake it that he would walk up somebody else's steps and knock on the door uh, so that people wouldn't recognize that he'd gone through the, through the, the gate of the prison. Um, and that marked him. And from then on, he was never good enough and he was never secure enough. He blamed his mother for, because his mother wanted him to stay there. He, he was so good at what he was doing. And that whole thing turned him sour on being uh, being a child and he then with nearly the last book it's the last but one book mm. he invents this kid who has a horrible childhood who gets beaten with a cane who um, uh, who's not able to sort of trust himself to love people and he's writing about his own his own uh, childhood when he was publicly shamed in front of everybody walking up and down the strand it's a really interesting story it's right there it's real but that's and also you know I think there's there's kind of two ways of reading kind of Dickens like this you know you can read it for the funny stories and the you know the characters with silly names and it's all a bit surreal and kind of uh, you know like people like Mr Wopsel and there's a cane called Tickler or you can read it for real which is kind of what David Nichols has done with his scripts you know and, and mm. when you do that and you you look at it in a much darker um, light suddenly everything starts to slot into place and it all mm. starts making a lot more sense I mean I you know there's been some wonderful adaptations and. Uh, I mean, this is the first big screen period adaptation since the David Lean version. But um, I don't know, my, uh, I'd seen a lot of pips which were quite sort of wide-eyed and innocent and yeah. very kind of, you know, and, and that is the trap with these characters because, you know, you're playing the lead character that things happen to. You know, you're, just, you're the kind of the passive force in it. But we kind of looked at it and with what David wrote so well is, you know, this is someone who has got this drive and this ambition and, and he, he goes out to get what he wants. And he's, he's savage in the way that he climbs the social ladder and, yeah. and is struggling. You know, he puts people down to push himself up. And, and I, I found that quite exciting in this script. And Estella has the most, has the most terrible background. Tell her about your background. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it is awful. Yeah, uh, and of course you don't know. You 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 discover it little bit by little bit. Yeah, Estelle, I think Estella is quite fascinating the character because you. So it, I always think it takes a couple of readings of the novel to get to get her because you don't find out about her history until the end. It's like she mm. you're sort of you're introduced to her through snippets all the way through, um, and once you do, she's got um, a convict as a father and this. Uh, how's how's her mom described in it? It's like a savage beast or something. Yes. Um, <coughs> yeah, she's, she's savage. And she's been ripped away from her from her parents and just thrust into this this dark old gothic house with this woman who I think Miss Havisham initially takes on Estella to 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 sort of save her from her own heart from her her own experiences from her own heartbreak, but ends up just ripping the heart out of her. Mm -hmm. And so from a young age, she's been she's had her just to her, her humanity stripped away from her and something else put in its place um, and and you know sort of in just completely indoctrinated with this this alter ego personality of she can't she can't love and she can't let herself uh, be loved because it'll only lead to pain um, 
Tragic. It's almost like she's Miss Havisham's instrument of vengeance in, on, on men, all men. Well, I don't, yeah. I don't think it ever sort of yeah. set out like that, is that yeah. she's Miss, ha- she's, uh, Miss Havisham originally adopted her to, to love her and to save her from, from her own fate. And it's, but you can't do that. You can't just take away, put so many barriers into the place of someone's heart because yeah. that stops them from being able to love completely. And sort of te- and, they're and both of them. They're, they're both of them forced into... Uh, characters that they would never normally have been by these terrible needy adults. Usually yeah. it's the children who are needy, and in this story it's the adults who are needy. Miss Havisham and, and Magwitch mm. are, are terribly screwed up, really mm. terribly screwed up. I think my favourite scene they pass is that right on. There's the scene where Helena, um, as Miss Havisham, apologises to Pip when she yeah. kind of realises what she's done. And she has that line where she says, I... I took out her heart and put ice in its place. And I think yeah. that's that's, yeah. You know, th- these are just two very damaged, deliberately damaged children. Yeah. Uh, shall we meet them <laughs> for the first time? We've given them a big build-up now. <laughs> Let's meet them. This is a scene in which uh, Pip and Estella see the scene outside the the country house and the, oh, yeah, the yeah, tree. Yeah. So let's have a look at that clip. Thank you. Pip, Pip, will you never take warning? How can you do it, Estella? What? Give your affections to that man. All sorts of ugly creatures hover about a lighted candle. Can the candle help it? Oh, but you can. Perhaps. If I cared. But you must care. But to encourage a man as despised, as unworthy and boorish as Bentley Drummle. And this is a man who has nothing to recommend him except money. Don't let it affect you so. I can't help it. And to give that man the looks and smiles you never give to me. You want me to deceive you. To deceive him? Yes. Yes. Him and many, many other men. All men. All men but you. So, uh, Holiday, is, is Estelle even playing a game at that moment? I or missed is that, that actually what she's... I've just heard something I never heard before. I missed a great moment. She shouldn't have known that she meant that. She shouldn't have known that, that she, she meant all men but you. She should just have tripped over that. It should have been a... And then realised something discovered. Do you have time yeah. for a quick reshoot? Let's do it again. You've got three days. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I keep doing that every time I watch the film. Yeah. I, oh I keep shit! Thinking, I should oh, have no, done this. Oh, should have done the other one. one. <laughs> you can go around. Yeah. You can go in all cinemas and just put scene missing up there. I've always wanted when when you see something in the cinema. I've always wanted kind of subtitles at the bottom which say this is the night that Jeremy was hungover. This is the night that Jeremy was feeling a bit sick. You know, just a little a little. Just a you know, disclaimer. So which, which was it for that one? That was the night that was, Holly late was really, night. really That Ill. was the night you were ill. That was the night you were You know, one of the dangers yeah. in all of this is we make it sound all terribly kind of meaningful and heavy, and it's not, because what he, what he did was, what Dickens did was, it's like he wrote for adult comics, almost. I mean, he wrote in four, five-chapter chunks, and he published mm. it in a magazine monthly. And so he had to. It's like watching Downton Abbey, you know? <laughs> you get to the end of a segment on Downton Abbey and the music swells and the housemaid's pregnant and, oh, God, what are we going to do? And two minutes later, you start to sort it out. And Dickens wrote just, uh, just like that. So you've got melodrama, you've got love story, and you've got some funny stuff and you've got some exciting stuff. And it never stops. It's like great soap opera uh, soap opera writing. It's wonderful stuff. So how difficult is it to boil it all down into a two-hour film? Impossible. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> You've got three days to go back. <laughs> it takes 20 hours. Well, to it takes 20 hours. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it would be great one. to... Uh, I, I really envied the BBC because they had three hours. Yeah. And they could do... And I would love to have done... There's a wonderful character in it called Mr. Wopsle who plays Hamlet and has got this very, very fragile dress sense. And so he, uh, he, he dresses up in all sorts of absolutely outrageous things and then goes on and does uh, um, all the great soliloquies from, from Hamlet. It's a wild comic thing. And I would love to have taken a stab at that, but we didn't have time. So Was he ever in a draft? Did he ever, did he nope. ever make it at any nope. point? No, nope. no. Nope. He never is. He's always yeah. cut. Always cut. Yeah, from the, from the movies, from the short versions, he's always cut. And in the uh, however many years you've been trying to make this movie, did, did it evolve for you at all? Was there ever a draft oh, yeah. back in the 60s, 70s, 80s? No. No? No, there was... I, I, I want to... Could people just stop talking about David Lean for a moment? Because I'd, <laughs> I'd love to get a chance to do it. And I, I got a, a friend called... Um, Oh, shit. Who did Harry Potter 3? Alfonso uh, Cuaron. What? Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso. So Alfonso, who was really nice to me when I was doing Harry Potter 4, he was cutting Harry Potter 3. And he'd show me, he'd say, hey, come and look at, have a look at this. And he'd, go and he'd show me bits. And I'd think, oh, God, Alfonso, I wanted to do that. Now you've done <laughs> it first. Um, but we got to be, uh, we, we got to like one another. And uh, he asked me, just before I made this, what I was doing. And uh, I said I was doing uh, Great Expectations. And he went, <laughs> because, of course, he'd done a version with uh, <laughs> De Niro and, and Bancroft yeah. and... Ethan uh, Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow. Winnie and yeah. and uh, yeah. all of that, which was, was very sexy. And I always, mm. wanted to, uh, I always wanted to try and do that to the story as well. Mm. And that was modern day, but this is obviously yeah, back in the, uh, a period piece. Yeah. Was that always the intention? You, you never wanted to update it or bring it into the, the modern era? No. What I thought was, I thought that the Dickens story was mm. incredible. And it would be less if it wasn't, if it wasn't Dickens. Mm. It would be, if you didn't go into that market with the blood and the liver and the pig's heads, um, uh, you'd lost a... a huge yeah. amount you'd maybe made it a bit safer yeah but it wasn't going to be any more uh it wasn't going to be any more entertaining and somehow or another if you if you put it modern you would have found that these two guys would have had all sorts of defense mechanisms yeah. because that's how, you know people are like that more yeah. now and as soon as you've done that to the characters you've lost the characters if they're not if they're not alive to their to, mm. to, to the the pain they're in, you've, yeah. you've lost but you, something. But you did. Say, I mean, I don't know. I remember you saying that you know we, we that we want, that you wanted to make a, a, a basically a, a modern movie in period clothes with yes. the uh, with the kind of yes, I did want. To I mean, there's a lot of I don't know, like acting choices which we had to make where I think, especially like people, the sort of younger generation, like if you've seen a bad period movie where characters is just ever so ever so withheld and you know you get so caught up in the etiquette and you, you know two characters stand across the room telling each other how much they love each other <laughs> you know but we uh, you know we, we wanted to kind of like you know if a character should love someone so ferociously that they need to yeah. scream at someone then in this in this we scream at each other and, and yeah. we do we do 
you know, it is visceral and it is raw and it's, it's not, uh, you know, it, it, what's lovely about a period movie like that is when, you know, you can have the etiquette and then when you drop it, it, it I don't know, I, that's some of my favourite sort of things to shoot. It feels like there's still, you, you, you can still do that level of sort of Victorian self-restraint. Yeah. But still let the, uh, when you're in the, the depths of a kind of passionate emotion or whatever, like, like in that scene, you can still let, let that emotion come through without... Mm. Um, yeah. without pre- preventing the feeling yes, of you're holding right. something you can, back. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think, you know, like, I mean, you've only got to read Shakespeare to see that people get just as angry, just as jealous, they still grieve, just as, you know, just as we do now. So I find it difficult to believe that teenagers back then, when they are in love, wouldn't have the same, you know, urges and, uh, and grievances that, that we do nowadays, so, yeah. When I went to university, um, I went to quite a snotty university, and uh, <laughs> I went to quite a snotty college, um, and I was the first uh, person in my family ever to go to university, and I thought it was fantastic. And the buildings were old, and all these famous people had been to it, and so on and so forth. And on our first night, we uh, went into dinner, and there was this great big long hall with long tables, uh, and we all sat down, and we said a Latin grace, and it was incredible. And then as soon as everybody had said amen, all the people from the posh public schools took up the food that was on the table and started to throw it at one another. They had a food fight. (laughs) Um, And uh, I couldn't believe that that uh, that that was going on in front of me. And that's the origin. I mean, this was the sort of place where, what's that club that they all belong to? The Chancellor? The Bullingdon Club. Well, the Bullingdon Club, yeah. It was that's the roots of the Bullingdon Club, and so so we put the Bullingdon Club on the on the screen because actually it was as a, alive then as it is now. Yeah, um, that game where we threw the pineapple. That one. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. We don't have that clip, Sally, but we do have another clip, which is the return <laughs> of uh, Megwitch into the into the film played by Ray Fiennes. Uh, Mike, I don't yeah. know if you want to talk about Megwitch and how he how he fits into the into the plot. Yeah, poor man. He's <laughs> um. He's, uh, you know the way things are these days, fair is a, wor- is a really important word these days. It's, it, is it fair? Do we feel it's fair? Does the nation feel that such and such is fair? Um, well, for Magwitch, everything is unfair. He's a, he's a really bright guy, but he's from, uh, from way down the bottom uh, of society. Things start to go wrong for him uh, when he's a kid, and they never, ever go right, and he's always oppressed by classy people, by people who've got class, who know how to behave, who went to decent schools and all of that kind of stuff, and he does their shit work, and it's not fair. And that's what Rafe did and he was very anxious to, to, to play it Cockney because Cockney is a it's a kind of violent language. Two great Cockney syllables, right? Oi! <laughs> and that, that, that's aggression. Oi! Um, and Rafe wanted that to be in, in his character. That's why he wanted to be, uh, to be Cockney. And he wanted to, to feel that the whole world wasn't fair. And that if he could make a gentleman who would go out and, and beat the world up for him, he'd get some kind, of, uh, some kind of redress. There'd be some sort of justice for him. And he 
he's sent away to Australia. He's a convict in chains and all that kind of stuff. And then he comes back, and he's sort of transformed himself. And here he is. Here he is indeed. Mm. Thank you. Who are you? Why? 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 Shh. Why? How did you get in here? You're grateful for me for what I did. As, as a boy. <laughs> it's, it's not necessary. Really, you, you must understand. What must I understand? That I cannot renew our acquaintance. That my, my life has changed since then. I'm glad that you're well and you've repented, but really, you, you must go. Please? How about a drink first? Before I go. He's oh. such a little snot, Pip. <laughs> I'm glad you've repented. <laughs> just had a proper little... I watched uh, The English Patient last night. I just had a proper little... Oh, that's very fine. <laughs> that's really cool. Did you not have that moment on set? <laughs> you, you try and just try and repress it. But race, I, I, you know, in my incredibly short amount of experience in this, like, he is the most committed actor I've ever seen. I mean, his... his it's it when he when when the camera's kind of on when he's on set it's it's magwitch and mm -hmm. you know when you have to act terrified of him it's it's uh, it's surprisingly easy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Mike, this uh, Ray finds Helena Bonham Carter, Robbie Coltrane. It's a bit of a Harry Potter reunion in a, in a <laughs> Sally Hawkins. in a way. Yeah, Sally, I thought about that. But it's a fantastic cast. I mean, do, can you talk about? Were these people all your first choice? Were you, did you have Rafe in mind for for magwitch? I started with Rafe. Um, I found Jeremy at the end of a very long piece of string. <laughs> I found Holiday as... Not, uh, did you come to Susie's? Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Came and sat with the dog on my knee. Yes, that's right, that's right. Um, we, we, we found them all. I started with Rafe, because uh, I, I knew Rafe had this sort of Fund of violence in him. He played. Um, no, never mind. He's, <laughs> he can be violent. Um, <laughs> just leave it at that. And uh, Holiday and Jeremy, how did you get involved in this in the first place? So had, you, had you just done Warhorse at the time? Uh, yeah, yeah, I just done Warhorse, and I was. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, truth be told, I was about to go and do something that was. You know, I was kind of being, I guess, kind of moved into the way of doing what I guess you call kind of commercial kind of movie and mm -hmm. and then I read the script for this and I was kind of like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of what I want to be doing next. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I finished, that was Warhorse, my first movie and I finished that and then waited six months to do another little movie called Now Is Good in this movie. Um, yeah. And when I signed up, I don't think anyone else had been attached. So I signed up purely because, you know, Mike was directing. Yeah. And, uh, and because the script was so good. And then kind of over the months that followed, Kind of, I always think it's like it's kind of like when you put together like your dream football team of actors, but the, of, you know, of like of, it's kind of like when you do that with footballers, but with actors, and and you know, and then Helena got involved, and Holiday and Rafe and people like yeah. that, and and you know, and it just kind of 
turns into this sort of mad, surreal dream, really. <laughs> what would Ray Fiennes play on a football team? <laughs> uh, good. He'd be, he'd, yeah. <laughs> Him and Vinnie Jones, can you imagine? <laughs> the midfield enforcer, the hard man in the yeah, middle. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, I wouldn't play against him. <laughs> <laughs> and Holiday, you've, uh, you've done previously uh, Jane Eyre, Anna Karina, I mean, you've, 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 you're ticking off literary classics one by one. Yeah, I'm going to work my way through them. <laughs> How did this one come about for you? Um... Uh, I, I mean, as, as they, they all do is through an audition, but I, I love Great Expectations and mm-hmm. I'd studied it a few times and I was uh, I was writing an essay actually on Dombey and Son when I got the audition for this. <laughs> so I had my novel out already because I was flicking through all my old Dickens novels. Holden's doing her English degree <laughs> at you the time out of the shooting. <laughs> I mean, has she picked out a part in Dombey? Uh, no, because she's, uh, she's a bit too young. The, no, the, you the wouldn't. Young uh, no, no, and she's a bit too sort of twee. And, and yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, his wife. Maybe I'm getting old enough for his wife now. That, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Like I was trying to do Dombey, but Dombey's so big, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that thick. Yeah, it took me. Dombey yeah. and Son, I used to listen to on my way to, to set onto on the Borges, but I li- used to listen to it on audiobook uh, on double speed. Because <laughs> <So laughs> <laughs> <laughs> it's so long. More insults. Harvey Weinstein watches Rush's double speed. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yeah, really good. So is this is this coursework for you? Is this, well, can you just submit the movie? Like and, yeah. Well, it was kind of like, it was just... I mean, it would have been an incredibly hard audition to go for if you hadn't have read the novel to be like, oh, yeah, tomorrow you're going for Great Expectations. Um, yeah. And so it was fine because I'd already got the, the book out. So it's just like, great, flick through, Estella, Estella, Estella. Yes. <laughs> like, refresh your memory. And I mean, I, she had such a sort of strong impact on me as a character when I was younger because I didn't get her the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. And then the, I think I must have read it a couple of times after and started to... to to love her for, for all, all her complexities. And so then to be like, oh, great, yes, I have this in front of me and I get to go for it. And yeah, it was it felt like a lot of fun. I sat and chatted with Mike for about an hour, actually. About it. It was just, yeah. yeah it was I, I, I remember, they won't mind me saying this, um, but Jeremy is, is I, I, when I first started work, I was really lucky that I, I worked with a, a generation of Hollywood actors who had been very famous um, and had made all lots of, of, of great big movies in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, like Gregory Peck and uh, Charlton Heston. And these guys, they had this extraordinary quality of they filled up the screen. When they were on, there were no edges anywhere. You didn't look anywhere else. Um, and it was they 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 did they didn't fool around. They didn't. They, they knew what they wanted to say. They knew who they wanted to be, <laughs> and they were just it. And he's like that. Jeremy's like that. But Holly, Holly's not uh, not like that. Holly does three things at once all the time. Um, it's because I can't decide which one to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. That's just not true. Um, no, there's al- there's always the, this kind of flickering thing going on uh, in you. It's very interesting cutting the two of them together because what you have is you have Jeremy who sort of stands up to it 
He, he's like some kind of knight with a great big sword and he's going to cut the legs off this scene if, it, uh, if he dies in the attempt. And that's, that's wonderful, that's heroic. Um, and then Holly is, is there in, in, on the other side of the screen, flickering away like mad. And to try and put those two together is sometimes very difficult, actually, because, you know, she's right in the middle of a really good flicker. <laughs> when uh, he's he's in in, in the, the sweep of the sword, he's going to cut the uh, gonna cut the legs off somebody. Okay. It's a very interesting uh, difference in style. <laughs> well, it really we is. That, should we see that dynamic in action one one last time before we take some uh, questions from you guys? Uh, this is another emotionally fraught scene between Pip and Estella. Let's uh, take a look at the clip. Thanks. Give me your hand. Be happy, Pip. This will pass in time. I'll be out of your thoughts in a week. But out of my thoughts, you're in every thought. You're part of my existence. You're part of me. You're in every thought, in every line I've ever read since I first came here. You're in the river, the sails of ships, the sea, the clouds, the stones of London. Until the last hours of my life, you will remain in me. Part of the little good, part of the evil. And I will always think of the good. Goodbye, God bless you. I want to say two things. <laughs> One is that Rafe absolutely loved acting with Jeremy. He loved it. And I know, I know why it is. It's because Jeremy was always there. He, he, you can't do a scene like that. We've got to say all that stuff about the sails of ships and the, the river and that kind of stuff. You can't do that if you're scared of it. And he was, he was never scared of it. Um, and uh, uh, Holiday has this extraordinary thing that goes to her goes to her eyes and when she feels she will quite spontaneously cry it's not that she it's, there's not a tap it's not a cynical thing at all it's it's deeply connected to uh, to her emotions but she saw what happened there um, and uh, that's, that's not us messing about with eye drops and stuff like that that's that's her feeling it um, I was very fortunate in the two of them. I used to, I, I loved that scene, and I used to love the days when I had the, the two of them together. Anyway. Holiday, was that, was that a one-take deal for you, mm -hmm. or is that...? I really, really didn't want Estella to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, but I, I find it quite difficult to, to get emotional without crying as a person, so then okay. if I get emotional in character... They just cry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy, well, but you're, you're like the new Gregory Peck, so I imagine you're quite stoic. <laughs> right. Well, if, yeah, if Mike didn't think I wasn't terrified, then uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking shaking. No, I mean, it was... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, like, you, sometimes when you're acting, you know, without, you know you're, you're kind of you're going in your head before the scene, okay, that's Estella. Okay, that's Estella. I'm imagining yeah. that's Estella. Okay, we're going in. Okay, that's and you, you know, or you make her someone that you know or something. But with every single actor in this, I mean, like Rafe Holiday, 
you know, when I looked at Rafe, I didn't have to go, okay, there's Rafe Fiennes and he's Magwitch. No, no, that's, it's Magwitch, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, with, with Holiday, it, it, you know, when Holiday turned on this cold Stella thing, I mean, they're, they're, you don't have to do that. So it just makes your job so easy. Like you just, all you have to do is just kind of react to it. And, yeah. and, and it's, yeah, it just, it just, God, it makes it easier when. Not everybody you know. does. Not everybody <laughs> can. <laughs> Okay, I think we've got time for some questions for you guys. If you have anything at all you want to ask. Hi, um, my question is for Jeremy. Um, uh -huh. I've sort of seen a pattern with there's a lot of young adult novels that are being adapted into big films, and they all seem to be starring like up-and-coming uh, British, young British actors. So you have Andrew Garfield in Spider-Man, you have, yeah, like, you have yeah. Rob with Twilight, and um, Sam Claflin is doing The Hunger Games, and Jimmy Kimmel yeah. Bauer is doing uh, Mortal Instrument. So um, uh, my question is to you, have you seen that in your career? Like, have you seen this type of scripts coming your way as like, people sort of been looking um, to you that way? Do you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm hugely flattered to be included in that group. Um, you know, I know, I know, you know, like Sam and Jamie and things, and you know, they're great actors. Um, yeah, yes, but I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the scripts that really excite me are the ones that I've done, you know, like this, and I mean, now as good as a film that I'm really proud of, um, and uh, you know, just those those are all great films. But um, you know, as some of the things like that that have come my way, you know, they they might be, you know, the big commercial film. But if 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 you don't feel as passionate about it as you do that little three and a half million dollar movie that you know I just came back from Texas doing something that. You know where you're you're gonna live in a in a little trailer for you know <laughs> for for six weeks and you know everyone's kind of just doing it for free and you're just doing if that's the script you feel passionate about then that's it's never really a hard choice really although uh, saying that especially when I just finished Warhorse there was a lot of pressure to go and do um, slightly different films mm. I guess but um, I don't know I'm I'm quite surprised myself actually for for back then doing it. I mean, it's, it's all very easy to say that now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I do the films that, 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 that move me and, and that I like, you know? Yeah. And Holiday, do you find, feel there's pressure on you to do a certain type of movie or to go in a certain direction? Nope. Good. Excellent. That's what we're going to... Anyone else got another question? <laughs> Put your hands up. And the, there we go. There's a gentleman there, and that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, I'll accept gifts as well, by the way, if you have anything. <laughs> Hello. I would like to ask uh, all of you uh, starting with uh, the lady of the team, out of all the previous uh, film versions of uh, Great Expectations, which is your most favourite one? Thank you. Which is what my all my favourite version? Version. Yeah. Oh, they're they're all really different. I mean, I love the Alfonso Cuarón one um, as a as a modern film, but I mean, it, that is interesting just because you go, oh, you've done that with it. Oh, that's how you've adapted it. <laughs> um, David Lean was one of my was like a classic favourite as a, as a kid. And I did love the BBC one, actually, at Christmas as well, which, <laughs> which uh, didn't make me worried about having just done this because it's, it feels like it, it embodied a different vibe of Dickens than this was. That Theirs was quite um, slow and uh, ethereal uh, and tried to embrace the realism. And I think there's a, quite a lot of colour in, in our one. That yes. there's a, it's a, feels like it's embraced that kind of theatricality and a bit more of the, the, the bigger characters that we all kind of, that we all associate with Dickens, but as, as well at the same time as being quite dark and, mm. um, yeah. and, and psychologically real, I guess. But it's, it, I mean, it's such a huge story. That's, I mean, you know, it does, takes 20 hours to read out loud. Um, 
And so ten you if know, you're on double speed on an well, audio tape. Well, ten, yeah, ten if you're holiday Granger. <laughs> but um, no, it's uh, I don't know. You know that, that that means that you know if you're doing one hour, two hour, three hour adaptations, they're yeah. never going to be you know the same. And you know I, I I've seen some really great TV ones. I thought Douglas Booth did a wicked job, and um, you know, but I still think. My favourite is probably David Lean version, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm supposed to say this one. But it's very much. Oh no! Well, yeah, but you know, th that's that's <laughs> a version that's very much. You know, that that was 1946. It's very much of the time. It's very much in that style of acting back then. You know, yeah. things are much more reserved, much more. Um, uh, yeah, much much more of the period, and you know, and it's you know, it's about time that we had another big screen adaptation, so that we can kind of bring some of that violence back in and that sexiness and that mm. rawness. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And Mike, do you have a favourite? Um, no, not been made yet. Um, there's a very good one with Johan Gruffith playing uh, Pip. It's made by a really, really good director, and it's driving me nuts that I can't remember his name. British guy. Quickly to the IMDb. What? <laughs> Someone, IMDb. Someone can tell me in a second. I can see phones going out right now. Oh, uh, yeah, come on. Even guys. now, yes, people are Googling it. Look where you are. Get the phones going. What's that? Yes! Julian Jarrett from the producer. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right, that's right. He's terrific. That's the producer. Everybody, that's the producer. You should, you should thank her. She got it done. She, and she, she never let me... She would never tell me what the budget was. She only told me what the budget was on the night that we had the premiere. Then she told me what the budget was. But beyond that, she, before that, she didn't really know. Was it a lot? Um, you know, was it a lot too too little, or was it only just a, a bit too little? Um, and we went from uh, all sorts of plans for the end to a to a field in Berkshire. Well, we're meant to be uh, shooting in, in anyway, Morocco. Anyway, there she one is, one and there. she's a heroine. Yeah. Uh, well, we just, I had a sign on my trailer door that was um, yes, selling selling my body for that's right. He was for money for the Morocco Film Fund. Was, uh, yeah. we, wanted to go, we wanted to shoot the last scene in Morocco. Um, and so he, he was going to sell his body. Any takers? Ten pounds in ten minutes? I, I, thought, I thought it was fair. It sounded reasonable. I I you that scene Robbie Coltrane was up for it. So That's a really long handshake. <laughs> uh, any other questions for our intrepid trio? Oh, you're all shy. Disgraceful. In that case, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll wrap up with one last question. What's next for you guys? Um, holiday. Uh, should our expectations be great? I had to say it. <laughs> you go. Yeah, I, I think so. Anyway, we're never allowed to say, though, are we? I know. No, you have to sign these things, yeah. You had a ban on set, like a great expectation swear jar if you said something like that. You had to put your entire fee for the day in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, no one ever has money until, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. never, nothing's ever done. So I don't think we're ever allowed to say it. <laughs> I'm doing the Borgias at the moment. Uh, yeah. Still, so finish season three of that. Okay. And hopefully, doing a little bit of theatre in January. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And Jeremy? I've got um, a movie called The Railway Man, which was with Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman. That's um, that's really cool. And that's um, yeah, that we we finished filming that this summer. And then uh, another movie called Nice Old Mexico, which is this little movie we did in Texas with mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like me and Robert Duvall, which is which I thought was pretty cool to get to do that. So Robert that was um, Duvall, that's yeah, I had a, I had a lot of starstruck moments. On that set, so uh, yeah, that was cool. Well, constantly, every time you met him, you were starstruck. It's like, uh, like, it's it's like Groundhog Day. It's a terrible thing to do. No, no. <laughs> no, he's a great guy. He's very nice. Yeah. Uh, and Mike, what's next for you? I'm gonna uh, make a film with Michael Douglas and with 
a guy called Christoph Waltz, who's the guy who played the Nazi colonel in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Amazing. Of uh, a, a, a meeting between President Reagan and Gorbachev, which very, very, very nearly ended the Cold War, but not quite, mm -hmm. and came down to one word. And if Reagan had been prepared to say that he would take out of the final communique the word laboratory, mm -hmm. the Cold War would have ended four years before it actually did. But he was not prepared to say that, and it went on. And it's the most wonderful story about two men sparring with one another and getting to know, and actually getting to like one another, almost to love one another. It's, it's, a, it's a really good story. That's a cracking cast. Yeah, it's a cracking cast. Yeah, not, not bad at all. You must be looking forward to playing with those guys. Yeah. Yes, I hope I do play with them. I hope I do. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, on that note, uh, Great Expectations comes out on Friday. Uh, thank you for coming. Thanks for your questions. And thanks most of all to Jeremy Irvine, Holiday Granger, and Mike Newell. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.